Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. All right, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your mobile phone, please turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter number four. And uh, that should be pretty easy for you to find because Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And uh, we're going to be in chapter four, beginning in verse one. And we read, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper, Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are like the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne... On each side of the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature was the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave, give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now one of the, <clears throat> the wonderful things about the book of Revelation, is that it paints for us a vibrant, mysterious picture, a a vibrant and mysterious, colorful image like this. Because, Because this picture, I mean, if you think about this, all right, here you have the eternal, unlimited God in heaven. And he is on a throne. And he is glorious and beautiful and completely indescribable. And he, he is described in this text in terms of light and rainbows and, and lightning and translucent jewels. How magnificent is this? How awe-inspiring is this? This vision is beyond our limited imagination to even process what God is like. But here we have John the disciple of Jesus Christ, the one who gives us the gospel of John, which we find the earth-shattering prologue where he tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was light. The life was the light of men. It is that John who gives us this image. The very same John who refers to himself in in his... Uh, gospel as the one that Jesus loves. It's the same John that, that Jesus looked down at from the cross and said, take care of my mom. It is that John who records this awesome vision that we see here in Revelation because he is an eyewitness to the scene in heaven. He is an eyewitness trying to describe really an undescribable scene to us. 
And though he, he describes for us what he describes for us is, is beautiful and awe-inspiring, I do get this sense that, that what he's talking about here and what he says here and the words he uses fail to actually convey the true beauty of what he's actually seeing. God in heaven upon his throne, the sovereign Lord of all things, the same God who created a universe that is believed to be in excess of 92 billion light years across. It is that God that's enthroned in his great throne room in heaven. How magnificent must that have been? And in this scene, the God of all creation is surrounded by other images. He's surrounded by these incredible and indescribable creatures called living creatures with wings and eyes all over. One of them has a face of a lion. The other has a face of an ox. The other has a face of a man. The other one is like an eagle in flight. What a bizarre and wondrous picture that is. And then there are 24 men who are called elders. These dignified men are obviously, you know, uh, very important in history because they sit in thrones that, that, that belong to them. And those thrones are next to God. They are, and they are clothed in white and they have these golden crowns on their head. And it says the four living creatures day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated in the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is created on, who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive Glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. What a beautiful and marvelous picture. What a marvelous picture of what worship is supposed to be. It's such a visually stunning image. In fact, there have been artists who have tried to capture this heavenly scene in their imaginations in their art. In fact, there's a painting right here that was done <clears throat> that captures the elements from the text. You have God on the throne and the living creatures in the, the foreground and the elders on the either side. Okay. And even though that this is just an artist's rendition, it's a beautiful picture. And then, then this picture right here is the image of the elders on their knees, bowing down before the Lord, the Lord laying their crowns down before God. What a striking image of these, these men laying prostrate before the Lord. From this image, you see how worthy God is. In fact, it's from this image, the worship group, Casting crowns, is that's where they get their name. It's from this particular text because it has this idea, this visually stunning idea that God is more important than wealth in power, okay? And if you could just picture this. In fact, just close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes and visualize with me. I want you to see this in your own mind. Here we have God on his throne, the God in heaven, and he's surrounded by the wondrous, the wondrous living creatures, and he's surrounded by these elders and all the heavenly hosts continually worshiping God, that all of creation is, 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 is worshiping God. And as you think about this, I want you to, to think about the song that we sang this morning. It said, worthy 
is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Clothed in rainbows of living color. Flashes of lightning. Rolls of thunder. Blessing, honor, strength, and glory and power be to you, the only wise king. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power, breath, and living water. Such a marvelous mystery. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation, I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Just think about this image. In fact, you can open your eyes, but uh, just think about this image. Now, as glorious and beautiful and as incredible as that might be in your imagination and how beautiful it might be in art and song or in the text. I still don't think it quite <clears throat> captures what the whole worship experience in heaven, you know, that John describes is really about. I, I think that the reality of what John is talking about is much greater and more important than what we can, that he can actually describe here in words. But in spite of that, this is still an inspiring picture nonetheless. And it should help us, those of us who follow Christ, to see what worship, what it should actually be. Now, the word that we use in English, worship, I think for Christians, and I think for many people around the world, that this word is a loaded word. And the reason why they say it's loaded is because I think that all of us, when we hear the word, it, that it conjures up preconceived ideas. That we have preconceived ideas that pop up in our hearts and minds um, when we hear the word. In fact, I, I believe when I say the word worship, every one of you has an idea that pops into your head. Every one of you has a picture that pops into your head that relates to your own idea of what you think worship is. And I'd be willing to guess that the picture that you have in your mind isn't exactly this picture that we have right here. Because many of you, when you think of worship, you think in terms of nouns. You think of songs. You think of, of things like hymnals. You think of things like, like singers and instruments. You think of like church services, like a worship service. Others of you think in terms of verbs, you think of singing and lifting up your hands and closing your eyes. And, and some of you might even be think, thinking about getting on your knees. Some of you think that worship is a place, that you come to a place to worship. That worship takes place in a church. Worship is localized to an area. Some of you think you know, of worship as an experience. It's something to feel. It's, a, it's an emotion that you encounter. And for others, it's a kind of music. It's, it's a kind of particular taste in music that, that we call, you know, certain, it, it, you know, we, we have a tendency to call certain types of music worship music. And this is actually an important point for some people because I've heard people say things like, well, you know what, Sherman? Man, I just can't worship to music like that. I just, I just don't feel like I'm worshiping when we sing those songs. I don't think that that kind of music is worship music. That's what I've heard people say. Because for many people, worship is a style of music. That's what they imagine. And, and for all of us, though, we have our own ideas. Every one of us have our own ideas about what worship is about. But the question is, is that really what it's about, though? Is it about music? Is, is it about song structures? Is it about church services? Is it about singing? Is it about preaching? Is it about heavenly images that we find in Revelation? What is worship really? 
I mean, we all know that we're called to worship and that we're expected, you know, to worship God. In fact, Jesus himself said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We know that we're called to worship, that it's a fundamental part of Christian life to worship. It's expected of us out of God. I mean, God expects us to do it. God seeks our worship. We're commanded not to worship anything else or anyone else besides God. You know, and the Christian life is all about worship. But, but, if, but, but what is it? What is it about? Okay. And I know it seems like, like a simple question, but think about this. You know, what is at the heart of worship? What actually makes worship worship? I mean, what is it that qualifies an activity to be an act of worship? And more importantly, what kind of worship does God find acceptable? Because the Bible tells us that, that, that there are types of worship that God finds acceptable and that there, there is worship that he finds unacceptable. What kind of, of worship is acceptable before God and what kind is not? See, these are big and important questions, questions that, 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 that have big and important implications for our lives. So it's important for us to ask what is worship really about? And that's why today we are beginning a brand new series titled A Call to Worship. And in this series, we're going to explore these very questions. We're going to look at what worship is at its very core. What makes worship, worship? And we're going to talk about why we worship, because there's reasons why we do it. And we're going to, we're going to talk about how we as followers are to conduct, you know, and live our lives of Worship, Because the truth is, worship is bigger and more complex and more important than our simple mental pictures. You see, worship, worshiping God is at its core. It's so much more than music. It's so much more than church services. It's so much more than singing. Worship is and must always be more than an activity that we simply engage in on an occasional or even a regular basis. True worship must be, must be something True worship must be more than just something we do. Worship, as we will discover in this series, worship must be a way of life. If you're a note taker, that you want to take that down. Worship must be a way of life. And that's why we're in this series. We want to teach you how to live a life of worship. Now, today, as we begin this series, we're going to get to the foundational issues because we're going to look at Look very closely at the nature of what the Bible describes worship to be. We're going to explore the foundational questions of what worship is according to not my opinion and not what culture says or not even what our tradition says. We're going to look at what worship is according to what the Word of God says. Because let me ask you, have you even really thought about it? Have you really thought about what makes an activity worshipful? Is it skill? Is it a ritual? Is it a religious practice? Or is it something else? Is it an activity? Is it an attitude? Is it a theology? What is it? Have you ever stopped to think about that? What makes a song a worship song? What makes a service a worship service? What makes anything we do in our lives an act of worship to God? What is it? That, my friends, is what we're going to start today. What is it that makes worship Worship. Now, before we jump in here and answer that question, let me just start by clearing the air a bit because I need to tell you what worship is not. Okay? You need to hear what worship is not. Now, <clears throat> with this, 
what I'm about to share with you, this actually may be hard for you to hear. And what I'm about to say might even hurt your feelings. And you have to understand, I'm not trying to intentionally hurt your feelings, all right? It's not my goal to hurt your feelings, but I'm just saying it might happen. You might get your feelings hurt. But regardless of that, regardless of the fact that you get your feelings hurt or not, you still need to hear this anyway. You need to hear the truth. And the truth is simply this. Worship is not... Worship is not about you. It's not about you. Just let that sink in for a minute, okay? I want you to let that marinate, you know, for a second or two, okay? Because this is really, really important because you have to understand, you have to embrace. Worship is not about you. It's not about you. This right here is the absolute truth that you must take in and make a part of who you are. This is something you have to do. You have to come to terms with. This is something you must embrace and accept. This, this is something that once you embrace it, it will change your worship life forever. In fact, it will change your relationship to God forever. Okay? If you will just embrace and accept this truth, that worship is not about you. Because it's not. And it's not about me either. Worship is much bigger than that. Because at its core, worship is actually all about God. Worship is and must always be about God. The central focus isn't you or your feelings. The central focus of worship is God. Because otherwise, if at the center it isn't about God, then you and me, we are not worshiping God. We are worshiping something else. We may be worshiping an experience. We may be worshiping our emotions. We may be worshiping our religion. But if God isn't the full heart and center of our worship, then we are not worshiping him. So it can't be about you or me. Which means worship then, by extension, isn't about my musical preferences. Please hear this and understand this because I'm going to say this, I'm going to explain this, and I'm still going to have people who are going to want to, to explain to me how they don't experience worship with certain kinds of music, and they will, they, will, they will express to me their need for certain kinds of music so they can worship God. Hear me on this. Worship is not about my musical preferences. It's not about the kind of music that I like or the kind of music I don't like. Just because a song doesn't fit my taste doesn't mean it's unworshipful. And just because a song is theologically rich doesn't mean I'm actually worshiping when I sing it. The moment I, re I require familiar music in a genre I like, I'm no longer worshiping God. I'm singing to please my own emotions, which makes it all about me again. But guess what? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. Please, now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Because when it comes to worshiping the Lord through song, I'm not saying that song selection and music style isn't important. Because the truth is, music is an emotional component. Um, and, and that it helps us to connect with God on a deeper level. Music reminds us of the joy that we have in Christ. Solid theological lyrics remind us of the hope that we have in God. 
you know, and, and, and it helps us to be connected to the gospel, not to mention that the experience of worshiping as a church, as a group of people coming together to lift our voices up to God is itself uplifting and healing, which is something that glorifies and honors God. Corporate worship through music is therapeutic in value and it glorifies God. So music's an important form of worship, and songs that we sing, those are also important too. But when it comes to music, when music becomes in and itself the focus of our worship rather than God, we, rather than the God that we're supposed to be worshiping, it's no longer worship. It becomes something else. It becomes simply entertainment. Understand that. If music's the focus, it's not worship, it's entertainment. Whether you like the modern stuff or whether you like the stuff out of the hymnal, it ceases to be worship and it becomes entertainment, which means it's about you and me again, which is exactly what it is not supposed to be. It is supposed to be about God. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to actually spend some time talking about worship music and we're going to explore why it is so important for us to, you know, preserve our musical heritage um, by singing older songs and passing down from one generation to the next. These, these, these jewels of, of theological richness in music, the stuff that we get out of the hymn books, all right? We're going to talk about the importance of that. We're also going to talk about the importance of embracing current styles of music and how that affects the next Generation. We're going to talk about that in this series, but suffice to say for today and for this foundational level, worship isn't about my preference in music and it's not about me, period. Okay? It's not about what I like. It's not about how I feel. It's not even about what I want. Worship is and always must be about God. Now I realize that seems like a simplistic and vague statement to make that worship's about God. But it's the truth. Worship is about God and God alone. But what does that mean? What, well, because, because it doesn't really actually get us any closer to identifying what worship is. It still doesn't describe what worship really is about. It just expresses the truth. So beyond being all about God, what is worship? Well, the Bible actually has a lot to say about this subject. Because we find this in the Word of God, you know, we find, we find this Word and, and we find many ideas connected to worship all throughout the Bible. And what is interesting is, is we have one word in our English language that expresses this idea of worship. But in Hebrew, there's four that we find in the Bible. And in the Greek in the Bible, there's 13 words that get translated as this idea of worship. And every one of these words has a variation of meaning and nuance. All right, so, so worship isn't just something that you can just des describe in generic, simplistic terms. Which means, according to the Bible, worship is this, a big, complex idea. It's, it, it means it's so much more complex and much bigger of an idea th than simply singing songs on Sunday morning. Now, we're not going to explore every single meaning of all these words in the Greek and Hebrew. We don't have the time for that. And I don't think you have the patience for that. But um, what we can do is we can actually break down the idea of worship that we get from these words into two basic categories. I mean, basically every one of these words fits in one or two categories. And the basic ideas are, the, are these. Number one, the first category of worship that we find in the Bible is this idea of physically bowing down before God. In fact, in the picture that we see here in Revelation is the physical act of getting on your knees and bowing down in submission and reverence and respect to God. That is the idea that runs out throughout the Old Testament. Um, as the Hebrew word pronounced, shekha, 
Uh, and we find that word all over the New Testament in verses like Exodus 34, 8, where it says, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. It's this idea of bowing down. Now, this same idea is found throughout the gospel accounts of the New Testament and found in the book of Revelation. And it's the Greek word pronounced proskuneo. Proskuneo. Okay? And again, it's, it, it, it's, it's this idea of bowing down. An example of that all right, it's from today's text that we read when it says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who are seated, who fall down before him who he is seated on the throne and worship him. Okay, proskuneo. It's this idea of bowing down physically in, 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 in reverence and respect. Now, What's interesting is this idea of worship, as far as bowing down, isn't really found in the book of Acts or the letters written to the apostles. What we find in these books is a second idea of worship, which is the idea of worshiping God through service, right? And the Greek word that gets used for that is the word pronounced latruo. Latruo is the idea of worshiping God through service. In fact, Romans 12, 1, the apostle Paul encourages us and says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Now, some translations say, which is your spiritual service or your active service or your service to God. Now, the idea is you to present your your, to God, your body, your whole self as a sacrifice to God, a living sacrifice, a consecrated gift. You give your whole self to God as a sacred, holy gift. Essentially what you're saying is, is here I am, Lord. All of me belongs to you, so do with me what you want. And what Paul says is this is your spiritual act of worship. You're, you worship God by what you do with your body. You worship God through service to him. You worship God by the life that you live and the things you do. You worship God through your service to him. Now let me point out something here. Just in case you've missed this. Notice, we've talked about two major categories about worship and we're still not talking about music yet. Notice that, okay? We're not talking about music or songs or music type or even church services. We are talking about, you know, the act of bowing down at the feet of God. And we're talking about serving God through our actions and attitudes. But we have not yet mentioned music. And what's interesting about worship, this idea of worship, is if you read the New Testament, you'll notice a pattern. And it's a pattern that John Piper, um, the pastor that I, that, that I hold in high esteem, has pointed out a number of times in sermons that, on the topic of worship. And he feels it's really a vital concept to understanding worship, especially as a Christian. He points out that in the gospel letters, uh, the, 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 it, he points out that in the gospels uh, written in the beginning of the New Testament, that they are filled with the idea of proskuneo, which is bowing down to worship. But then when you get to the book of Acts and then the letters of the apostles, the, word, the, word, the worship idea shifts to latruo, which is the idea of service. And then we get back to the book of Revelation, it shifts back to the idea of bowing down at the feet of God again. It goes from proskuneo to latruo, back to proskuneo again. Okay, and this is the pattern in the New Testament. Why? Why 
Does the idea of worship shift from bowing down before God to serving God and then back to bowing down before God again? Well, John Piper explains the reason for that and for this transition is because of Jesus. You see, in the Gospels, Jesus is present with his disciples, and, and they're able to outwardly, physically worship him. They're able to bow down before him physically. And the Jews, at the time, they went to the temple and actually physically bowed down and worshiped God in the temple in an outward expression of worship to God. But guess what? Things changed. Because Jesus died on the cross, rose again three days later, and then what happened? He ascended into heaven. Jesus is no longer here for his followers to physically worship. He, he is, was no longer here for, for them to physically bow down before. And for the Christian, worshiping at the temple wasn't the same anymore because Jesus said to the woman at the well, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Okay? You're not going to worship God by location. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship spirit and truth. You see, the mode of worship changed after Christ ascended because Christ was no longer physically present to bow down to. And so worship transitioned from an overt act of outward expression to an overt inward devotion to God that manifests itself in latrua or service to God. The mode of worship changed from external expression to an internal one because, because where is Christ? Where is he? He's not on the earth physically. He's within us spiritually. We are indwelled with his presence. And so we worship him inwardly with our thoughts, our actions, our meditations, our prayers, our deeds, and our service. See, because Christ is in us and not physically before us, our worship became a way of living our lives here and now. The way we bow down before Christ in reverence and respect is to live for him here and now. But then what happened in the book of Revelations? It says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship proskuneo they bow down and they worship him again. You see, in heaven, worship reverts back to physical outward expressions of worship. Why? Because that's where Jesus is. We will be in his presence again. And so this is a fitting thing to do. It's fitting to fall face down and take our crowns or anything of value that we have and cast it at the feet of Jesus. We will all bow down at his feet. In fact, Romans 14, 11, we read, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. At the resurrection, we will all physically bow down before Christ and worship him along with the rest of the world. Because we will be in his presence again. It will be fitting for us to worship him that way. And what a glorious day that will be when we can actually bow down 
in the presence of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I realize as amazing as that may be, (laughs) we're actually right back where we started. We're right back to the book of Revelation with this glorious picture of God on the throne being worshipped by his creation. And after all we've talked about, we still have not really quite defined what makes worship, worship. I mean, yeah, we know, you know, that, you know, about bowing down before God, right? You know, when we're in his presence. And we know about inwardly worshiping God through our service and our thoughts and our actions. We have still not quite identified what worship is at its foundation. There's still something missing. You know, there's something that we haven't quite talked about. So let's look at this text again in Revelation. Because the answer is actually right there on the surface for us. In fact, it says in verse 9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, and notice notice this, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God. Worthy are you. My friends, that right there is the answer. That right there is the heart of worship. The heart of worship is God is worthy. God is worthy of you bowing down before him as your king. God is worthy of you submitting yourself to his authority. God is worthy of you taking your prized possessions and casting them before him. God is worthy of your obedience to the law. He is worthy of you falling face down on your, falling face down shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy, Lord and God. God is worthy of that. But he's also worthy of your very best service. He's worthy of you loving your neighbor as yourself. He is worthy of you loving your enemies. He is worthy of you doing everything in your power to share the hope of Christ Jesus with a dying world. God is worthy of you controlling your thoughts and, and keeping your mind pure. God is worthy of you denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him. God is worthy of you loving your wife as Christ loved the church. God is worthy of you growing into spiritual maturity. God is worthy of you making, you know, of you walking in personal holiness. God is worthy of the very best that you have to offer in every, every, every area of your life. Be it at home or at school, be it at work or just hanging out with your friends or here at the church. God is worthy of your time and your talent and your stuff. God is worthy of you coming here on Sunday mornings to sing with your heart and to listen to the word being preached. He is absolutely worthy. In fact, that's what the English word worship means. It means worth-ship. It's from the English word worth-ship. And it means to express that something or someone is worthy. It's as simple as that. And so when you're actually worshiping God, you are declaring him by your actions and your outward expressions and inward devotions that, Lord, you are worthy. That's what makes worship, worship. In fact, God is is worthy and you express that worthiness physically, mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually. And you express that in all that you do, whether reading the word or teaching your children about Christ, or cooking you know, a dish for the potluck, or singing songs. The essence of worship is that you do what you're doing because God 
is worthy, especially in light of what God has done for you. You see, as Christians, we have even more reason to worship than anybody else. Because not only has God created all things, including you, God did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. You see, here's the bottom line. You and I are unworthy because you and I are broken sinners. We are flawed to the core. You see, the world says that people are generally good, but occasionally do bad things. But the truth is people, including us, are thoroughly bad. And we occasionally do good things. And you know it's the truth. I know it's the truth. Because you know who you are. You know what you've done. You know the thoughts that you have. You know that what you're capable of. You know that you're a broken sinner, right? Okay. Unworthy you are and I am of anything but the just punishment that comes from sin. You and I are unworthy and we are unable to save ourselves from the wrath of God. But for some reason, because God decided to love us, God had mercy on us because, because of his love. As unworthy as we are, he decided to love us and have mercy on us. And he sent his son into the world to live a perfect life, to take upon himself sin and shame, and to be tortured and die on a cross to pay for what? Our sins. The completely worthy lamb sacrificing himself for the, for, you know, for the unworthy sinner. And then three days later, Jesus literally rose physically from the dead, proving that he has conquered sin and death and proving that, that he has the power to cover our iniquities, making us worthy by faith to receive eternal life. My friends, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is he who had the compassion on us. Worthy is the God who's shown you grace and mercy and invites you into this intimate life-giving relationship. Worthy is he to receive all honor and glory and power. Worthy is to receive all of our worship, both outwardly and inwardly. That, my friends, is the heart of worship. God is worthy. You see, what makes worship worship is you do what you do for no other reason except for the fact that God is worthy. So if you sing... Sing because God is worthy, not because you love the song. If you preach, then preach because God is worthy. If you give, don't give out of compulsion. Don't give out of guilt. Don't give out of pride. Give because God is worthy of your giving. If you love your neighbor as yourself, if you love your enemy, if you make disciples, if you let your light shine before men, do it all because God is worthy of all that you do as an act of worship. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy, holy is he. Now, as always comes the most, the most important question. Now that you know all this, what are you going to do about it? Because as if I said over and over and over and over and over again, information without application is simply a waste of time. If you learn something but don't do anything with it, what have you accomplished? Nothing. We need to be, as the, the word says, to be doers of the word and not simply hearers of the word only. So now that you know, what do you do? Well, I'd like to help you with this and make this really practical. And what I've done is I've placed a little sticky note in your bulletin. And, and what I want to do is I would encourage you to take that sticky note out right now. I want you to write on it 
three words, okay? Make them big, just fill up the sticky note with it. And the words I want you to write is, God is worthy. On that sticky note, just write, God is worthy. And once you do that, I want you to take that note home and I want you to place it somewhere that you see every day. Put it on your bathroom mirror, put it on your visor, right? Put it on your desk at work so you can see it. Or put it like in the place where you charge your cell phone because I know you look at that every single day, right? Wherever you put it, just make sure you can see it. And every time you see it, then just take a moment. Just take some time, all right? Just, just stop, all right? And just pray, God, you were worthy. You're worthy of all my worship. You're worthy of all my best. Worship isn't about me. It's all about you because, Lord, you and you alone are worthy. In fact, let me just pray for you right now. Lord God, you are worthy. More worthy than I can possibly even begin to express. More worthy than I can even fathom. Lord, you're worthy of everything that I can offer you to the best of my ability. You're worthy of me living my life in pursuit of holiness. You're worthy of me picking up my cross and denying myself. You are worthy of the financial sacrifices that I've, had, that I've made to be here to do the work that you called me to do. You are worthy of me being second to you. You are worthy of all that you call me to. You're worthy for me to fall face down before you when I see you in heaven. Father, I pray that this message would would just pierce our hearts and change us, Lord. That we'd come to the place that, that we understand that worship, we would not just allow ourselves to define it by terms and by ideas that, that, are, that are so narrow that we would actually open up this idea that worship starts with you and that the center of worship is about the fact that you are worthy. You're the greatest being inside and outside the universe. You created us out of your love. You sustain us by your wisdom. And because of your grace and mercy, you've given us an opportunity to have a relationship with you, something that we can't even fathom on our own. God, you're worthy. You're so good to us in, in so many ways. Every breath is a gift and you have, you've imparted so many good blessings on our lives, all of us, even those who struggle. You are worthy. I pray, Father, that we would just feel the gravity and the weight of that and we would take that out in the world with us and we'd start every day with our eyes and our hearts set on you being worthy and that we would do what we do to honor you and to glorify you because, Lord, you absolutely are worthy. We love you, Lord God, and I pray your protection over this congregation. I pray your blessing on all of those who are here and not here, and I pray that you'd raise up a people as unworthy as we are to go out into the world and to storm the gates of hell for your name. We love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.